listen to that and support it and allow them to repeat it. Because when kids repeat things, they make subtle changes and they're able to then innovate. Hi, I'm Alana Gallo. I'm a teacher, a mom to four, and the founder of Play, Learn, Thrive. Join me as I chat with real parents and experts as we explore all things play and child development. It's time to take the focus away from you and put the responsibility of playtime back into your kiddos' hands. So if you're tired of planning, leading, and facilitating play sessions, you've found the right place. Each week, we'll explore the importance of play and how it supports child development, along with simple ways to incorporate play in a purposeful way so you can raise confident, self-motivated kids who enjoy playing independently. Hey guys, it's Alana here from Play, Learn, Thrive. Today on the podcast, I have Megan Fitzgerald, who is the founder of Tinker Garden, which is one of our favorite early learning classes. And I'm going to give her her a minute to introduce herself and talk all about her background and um, and her business, Tinker Garden. Hi, Alana. Well, I'm so glad to be here and always enjoy being able to connect with you and love all that you're doing and bringing to parents. So very honored to be here. Um, for people who don't know me, I am first and foremost a mom of three kids. I am also an educator by trade. So I was a classroom teacher, a curriculum developer, and then an elementary school principal before starting Tinker Garden. Um, and for those who don't know Tinker Garden, we call Tinker Garden every family's guide to purposeful outdoor play. And what we mean by that is we create learning experiences. So sometimes those come in the form of live in-person classes in local parks. Sometimes that comes in the form of live virtual classes now um, over Zoom and also a ton of curriculum and uh, do-it-yourself activities and then content for grown-ups to help people fill their kids' days with purposeful outdoor play and the chances to learn. And we focus on kids about half a year old through eight years old. So we're looking at the early learning years and making the most of those. Awesome. I love that. Um, so do you want to talk a little bit about, I, so not everybody is familiar with Tinker Garden, even though they, they definitely need to get familiar with it. Um, but what do you want to talk a little bit about what it looks like in a Tinker Garden class? I think that would be because um, I think some people can't necessarily visualize like what that might look like for little kids being outside and, and doing activities like what you guys do. So there are many ways to get involved with Tinker Garden, and we have a great community for parents and educators on Facebook called Outdoors All Four. We have free content, do-it-yourself activities, a monthly calendar full of ways to play and connect to nature every day. But the core of what we do is our classes and our curriculum program. So kids ages, right now we're serving kids ages two to eight, and we do it in two different ways. Uh, but either way, you have live instruction once a week, and you take Tinker Garden all four seasons of the year. And that live instruction helps deliver a new play lesson each week that builds up to teach a different skill. So we have eight core skills at Tinker Garden, skills like creativity, problem solving, empathy, um, this summer, we're working on communication skills and kids who go through our programs learn through play, learn through our um, expert designed play experiences and lessons, but they build one skill over the course of a season until they earn all eight skills. And kids repeat as well as they get older and the challenges, they can access challenges at different levels. So for a family experiencing, when you join Tinker Garden, you experience once a week a live class with a Tinker Garden leader. And Tinker Garden leaders are amazing people. They're early educators who are all over the country. 
Um, they go through our rigorous application process, but then they also train with Tinker Garden and um, they deliver a new lesson each week for about eight weeks, once a season. The, that one live class gets kids singing and moving and learning about new animals and creatures, but also doing a play lesson. And that play lesson begins the week of play because for parents, there's also an interface called My Tinker Garden where they have three additional really easy at-home activities that build on what the kids have done with their Tinker Garden leader in class. So if you're going to your Tinker Garden live class in person, you're grown up and your kids are going together and they're having a great experience with other people in their community in their local park, they learn the lesson there. Or if you're doing our at-home Tinker Garden, you're doing that over Zoom. But either way, you have this great live class and then you've got three other activities to finish. You've got a portfolio where you can upload pictures of the play that you do outside of class that your leader can see and comment on and share back in a slideshow. And you've got all of the lessons and all the video read-alouds and different resources that we provide in the curriculum that you can go backwards and forwards and experience again and again as long as you're enrolled in Tinker Garden. So it's really a way to help a family fill the whole week with outdoor play. And that might be when a child is um, not in a preschool program, it can be the supplement for the preschool, or it can be done around when family has time to play together or when kids are playing independently, whether or not they're in school. So it's really a supplementary program that helps the parents, caregivers really learn about how kids uh, learn through play and then set up great play experiences for kids. That's so awesome. So you were in early childhood and and you talk about the Tinker Garden leaders being um, early childhood professionals. What can you just talk a little bit more about how play and how specifically play outside is impacting kids? Um, I know, at least from my perspective, I feel like we have seen a pretty big decline in that. And so I'd love to get your thoughts about that. Tinker Garden really came out of, for my husband and I started Tinker Garden together. As I said, I was an educator and an administrator seeing, working with young kids, working with teachers and parents and feeling some of the strain around kids not feeling the same joy of learning, um, not really spending a lot of time on screens, not always in the kind of interactive, engaging way that you'd want for kids having their lives be really structured and the access to free play and time outside that you and I, I think, took for granted, or at least our generation tended to do a lot more of, was diminishing, even though experts know that play really is the way that kids develop. Um, They develop cognitively, socially, emotionally, physically. Play is just the natural way that we're wired to learn. So in the early years, when the access to play is going away, that's really alarming. And then when time outside is less, time nature is such an important classroom. It is naturally we have an affinity to being outdoors, but nature as a teacher, what I love about it so much is that it is both simultaneously calming to the senses and stimulating. So if you've ever worked in a classroom of kids and you, when I was a teacher, if you told me there was anything I could do that would calm them and make them alert in the right way and attentive, I would have done anything. And once I took my students outside and every time you step outside, both naturally happen because the sensory environment when you're outdoors, it's always changing, always interesting. So many textures, smells, every sense is activated, but in a way that's inherently settling. 
and calming. And we've seen it in research. We see how it can help with mood and affect. It can help with attention and really bring out the best in kids. So as a learning environment, it's so wonderful for that. But it also affords all these objects and uneven terrain and situations that promote imaginative play, give us natural ways for kids to challenge themselves and their motor skills. You know, walking on uneven ground is so much better than walking on a flat indoor surface or picking up sticks and mud and rocks and being able to create things and make things and imagine things so fluidly versus using purpose-built toys inside. So nature just provides so much for growing kids in, as they're learning and developing. And then it's just plain healthy, you know, being outside in the sunshine, fresh air, even dirt helps kids build their immune system. So if you're looking at the whole child, there's really no better environment, no better classroom, no better incubator for growth than, than nature. And then there's also the just zooming out and thinking about our planet and where we are in relationship with our planet and our care for our planet, what our planet is facing and how kids are increasingly aware of the challenges that we face for our planet, that having them connect to nature early on, having them fall in love with it, which is really the precursor to wanting to save it and feeling ready to save the planet, which they will be absolutely called to do, just feels so important and so right. So for us, that sort of has emerged over the 10 years we've been at this as possibly the most important part of being outdoor educators and centering our family time and play and learning outdoors. That's so great. So what about being outside? So one of the things that that I feel like parents are really stressed about, part of my like mission, I guess you will, is to kind of help parents see that they can be doing a lot less for their kids, right? Like that they don't need to be whether it's they don't need to be scheduling a million activities and 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 after school you know classes and and all these things to they don't need to be um, engaging back and forth and narrating their play and and doing all that and kind of just giving them a little bit more space and so I love your thoughts about that and how being outside so for me one of the biggest things is like the stress about for parents about, you know, sensory bins and, and setting up these perfect activities. And one of the things I I'd like to get you to talk about a little bit are, are some like very simple things that parents can do. So for me, it's like, even just being outside and, and eating a meal outside, it's, it's a sensory experience. You don't have to necessarily every day be worried about setting up all these like picture perfect, quote unquote, activities when if you're able to just get outside, even if it's just to go to an open field or on a hike or have a meal, it's going to be such a more, I don't want to say better because I feel like there's a time and place for everything, but um, more simplistic way to kind of engage kids. And I think if you could speak a little bit to how that actually helps their learning, because I think parents, again, are always like, you know, oh, well, that's great. But how is like being in a field going to help my kids learn versus signing them up for, you know, X, Y, Z, like a class or something like that, you know, an early learning class where they're being taught, quote unquote, something. Um, So I would just love to get your thoughts about that. So many good things packed into that question. Um, 
But if you can do anything for yourself and for your kids, just remember that less is more. Less is truly more for kids. And there's wonderful, actually, there's great studies that the taking a playroom and the fewer toys, the longer kids played and the more creatively they played. And I think we forget this, that less truly is more for children. And what we want for our kids, when we think about the outcomes we want for them, the kind of skills that they're going to need for the long term, they build the foundation for those early in life. And that the early years, the ability to be in an open-ended play environment, and there's no better one than outside. So to be in that open field and to invent and to iterate on how to play in that space without too much direction is the way that children learn to be flexible thinkers, to problem solve to imagine and to create. So all of these skills that they're going to need so much in their lifetime, the way that they need free time, they need free space, and they need an environment that welcomes all kinds of different ways to play. And that's what nature does so well. So, but understanding that parents also don't always know where to start. And if you haven't been taking kids out and spending long amounts of time, just allowing them to to figure out how to play, both child and parent might need a starting place. And the starting place can be so simple. I think we think it needs to be more than it needs to be. And that's one of the principles that we use when we write a do-it-yourself activity or a home lesson for Tinker Garden or even the different activities that are in our monthly calendars, which are free for families. And you know, we can share the link with you on that. Really, it's just a starting place. So all you're trying to do is give kids an invitation or an idea. You can read a book and then welcome kids to play in a way that's inspired by the book. You can just have a new object that you bring with you and you place down and say, I wonder what we could do with this, or I wonder what this could be. So if you feel like you need a starting place or a hook or a way to kids get to get kids going, there are so many activities on the Tinker Garden site where part of being part of the classes is to try and help caregivers and parents learn different techniques that you can reuse over time. And that's the other thing that we forget is that kids need to repeat things many, many, many times. Um, that's how their, their brain is developing and the things that they repeat become stronger. It's a natural part of the process. It can drive our adult brains a little crazy, <laughs> having are we doing the same thing again. And we tend to want them to have novel experiences and do new things. But for kids to go outside to the same corner of the earth and to do similar activities with with whatever they love to do, whether it's making mud or it's running around or it's building little hideouts or whatever really sticks for them, listen to that and support it and allow them to repeat it. Because when kids repeat things, they make subtle changes and they're able to then innovate. But it's very subtle and they're small, but it's so important. And that's how kids learn a whole lot of skills as well. Definitely head outside Come to Tinker Garden to find easy hooks and ideas just as starting places and then allow kids to stick with whatever they find interesting and don't worry so much about always having it be novel and new because there's so much learning and the repeating. Yes. And one of the things I love that you just said about how just at the end there where you're talking about it doesn't always have to be new and exciting and but parents shouldn't always feel like they have to be um, kind of moving things forward. Because I, I think part of the biggest thing too, about being outside, say, for example, just on a hike or in a field, is that there isn't a lot to do, right? And so you have to really, kids have to really 
think and they have to kind of be in that sort of bored space, if you will, um, especially if they're not used to being outside where they're kind of sitting with being a little bit uncomfortable and trying to think, okay, well, you know, I'm in this big field and there's no playground equipment and there's no, you know, whatever it is, there's, there's nothing that's external and they really have to kind of dig deep intrinsically to find a way to keep themselves occupied. And I, I just think it's incredible to watch. And I don't know, you know, if you've never done this, um, as a parent, if you're listening to this and you've never done it, I would totally, uh, really encourage you to, to try it is just to bring your kid to a field where there's nothing. Don't bring any toys. Don't bring a ball. Don't bring anything and see what happens because, I think that we oftentimes think as parents that we have to be sort of the the circus leader, you know, like, you know, here's this activity or here, go do this. And, and, and so much of that is taking away from our kids' ability to come up with their own stuff. And is it, I don't know if you agree with that or if you have any. Oh, I completely agree. <laughs> I think there's some interesting framing to do when we listen to ourselves think about it, though. We think about you know, getting into a bored space um, versus a lull. You know, there are lulls all the time in life and there are lulls in kids play. There are pauses, there are breaks, there are shifts in momentum. And we often label things as bored and get worried that kids are going to either get unhappy or misbehave. I don't know what we're worried about, but we're so worried that they won't be stimulated or they won't be when there's, you know, there's just space. Think about it as space. Think about it as a lull or a quiet period. And kids need to have those. And their brains work much more slowly than ours because they're trying to learn so many things at once and they haven't become as efficient as ours. So I think we sometimes as adults fear more uh, that children aren't going to have fun or aren't going to know what to do. And then there's also truth to to be habit and truth to being kind of building your play outside muscles because you just, if you've been in an environment where adults do give you lots of stimulation or you're um, basically trained to wait for the adult to tell you what to do next or to provide something so that you haven't experienced lulls or spaces very much and you, you won't know what to do with them. So the longer you can take being outside and having quieter moments or just wondering very open-ended things and seeing what kids do, they'll become more used to it and then have more stamina for it over time also. But I do think we worry a lot about it and we feel it's just more comfortable to the adult mind to be like, well, I'm doing something and it's active versus holding space and letting kids run their own process. I think, yeah, part of that is a cultural thing too, because in the U.S. at least, and I know that's where you're based, I feel like our society is sort of like, go, go, go. And what are you getting done? And what's, you know, like, how are you contributing? And, you know, there's only 24 hours in a day, you know, so-and-so can get this much done. Why can't you kind of a, a, like a, a, a philosophy almost. And um, that definitely trickles down to our kids and they feel, you know, pressured to sort of always be doing something. And I have heard from a lot of parents, even with kids as young as, you know, two, three, three months old, four months old, saying things like, oh, you know, how can I stimulate my baby? And I'm like, 
you can look at them like that's literally like you can take them outside for a walk and, you know, let them feel the breeze on their face. That's the stimulation that they need. And there's no need for it to be more complicated than that. I think we do worry about, are we stimulating them enough? And what does that even, you know, it's like, what does that even mean? I, again, I think it goes back to really our culture has kind of created this environment where we feel like we always have to be going. That's, translating into as parents, our kids always have to be going, you know, they have to be taking a class or learning a language or practicing a right, you know, practicing this or moving forward. And God forbid, they're not reading right when, you know, your friend's kid is starting to read or whatever it is. And there's so much comparison and and so much um, focus on, you know, mile, not milestones, but like, you know, oh, your your kid should be meeting this standard at this time. And it's almost like, but that kid is not, you know, every kid is so different. I mean, that that is a really dangerous thing because every child is so unique. Um, as much as it's wonderful to think about at certain ages, you're so craving it, especially now having three kids the first time through. What are Where are we supposed to be? You know, I'm wanting to make sure that you're tracking. But kids are so different. Kids are like icebergs. They're so capable of doing things that we can't see, that they can't communicate. Uh, The best thing we can do is allow them space and time. And it's helped me a lot, you know, because I think you can know as much as you learn. But then when you have your own children, you still feel the same desires, the same concerns, the same worries. And you're part of this culture, you know, and I work hard and I want them to work hard and achieve and and be all that they can be. And that feels like such an awesome responsibility and opportunity. So it's really understandable that we do this to ourselves, but it's helped me a lot to think about my work as being to create the environment for them, but it's their work to play and learn and decide when to begin, what to respond to, where to take it. So if they switch gears, if they slow down, if they speed up, if they want to do something different, just allowing space to them, but also creating, you know, an environment that has certain objects in it or certain stories one day or certain ideas, but always as invitations to them and keep them in the lead because kids really are, they come ready to learn. They come ready to explore, to discover, to learn how to communicate, to learn how to think. It's just, it's remarkable. So the more we can see our job as enabling a really natural process, the better we're able to enjoy our role in that process, but also play a role that allows them to thrive. And I think that's a lot of our work at Tinker Garden is to in this, both this live class, but also all the sort of content and ideas that we gently provide for families to decide to, you know, how they want to weave them in to continue to surface this idea that kids are born to learn through play Nature is the best place you can learn. And so allowing them time and space and gentle invitations to play outside is really a wonderful way to hit a lot of the things kids need. And then to kind of settle into that role as a parent, as a supporter, or what we call tinker kids, uh, we call adults at Tinker Garden Guides. And we call kids explorers just so we can continue to reinforce that you are here to guide the process and support it, but you don't have to direct it. You know, you don't, it's not on you that same way. And it really has, it's really opened up my and Brian's and so many families that I've worked with ability to really enjoy these early learning years and let their kids really push themselves in beautiful ways. 
And so when you say early learning, just because I want to, I want to, sometimes I think, uh, you know, when I hear early learning or when parents hear early learning, they might be thinking only like birth to three or something. So right. what, what are you, in my mind, early learning is kind of birth through age eight, nine. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have, is that? That's the same, that's the time frame that we work from. So absolutely. Because there's, there's a really important brain development that happens around eight, nine years old that marks a, a pretty major shift from early childhood to more middle childhood or later childhood. So the time and that time early on is when so much, when you think about the brain and the way the brain's developing, it is so much synaptic growth really early. And then so much of what I we're, we're, we're talking about as early learning years is a, a kind of organizing, a streamlining of synapses and connections so that you're starting to lose the many, 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 many different connections and strengthen ones that are important that you use often. So the work of a child during that period is kind of works together. It's a lot of repetitive and spiraling building on what I already know for the next thing. And um, so when you really think about play and its role too, that zero to eight arc is just really, really an, a wonderful chunk of time um, to focus on. With that said then, and you said you were a teacher prior, mm-hmm. so I would love to get um, like a little feedback from you in terms of how we could move forward. So, you know, I had this like grand vision that after this pandemic, we would kind of see the light, the public education system would kind of like see the light of day and say, oh, wow, you know, we need to get our kids outside more. And we, and, you know, we need to stop pushing early, you know, academics so early and, and giving, you know, giving kids more time to play and, and all this. And it doesn't necessarily seem like that's where we're heading, which is very frustrating. And I, I would love to hear your opinion about just about that in general, but then also if you have thoughts about how we could as a society, easily so because in my mind I feel like some of the stuff that they could implement in schools are could be done very easily and very affordably mm-hmm. so it's you know because it always the, the the argument always as you know is like well there's no budget part of it is like but you don't need a budget you don't necessarily need a budget to do some of the things that you could be doing in order to bring kids more give kids more time to play and give kids more time outside so I'd love to hear your thoughts about that Right. Absolutely. Um, And I do think when you look back at pandemic and the impact of it, we don't really quite know yet its impact. Um, And I I think, although I agree with you, I would have loved to see wholesale the just moving of the system outdoors. Um, But it's an awfully short period of time and very fraught for that kind of change to take place um, in a system that doesn't change that quickly. But there were lots of glimmers of light and, and an opportunity to try different things. And there are schools who really push themselves and got kids outside more. And there is such a focus on learning outdoors that I did not see pre-pandemic. It was building anyway with our knowledge about nature and the effect on kids since the 10 years we've been working on Tinker Garden. But it really has leapt forward. I mean, outdoor learning is so in demand. It's so exciting to be in this business in this part of the world. And, you know, um, to have this be something that uh, we focus on right now is really exciting. I have consulted with schools. Schools are trying to figure it out. So part of our theory of change for Tinker Garden is if we can raise a generation of kids and parents to really feel and understand the impact 
of being outdoors and learning outdoors that parents can make a change. Parents can gently and lovingly partner with schools and and put the right kind of pressure on to say, hey, the more of the day needs to be outside. Recess does need to be longer. Kids need to be moving their bodies. Their sensory systems need that kind of feedback. We could be having nature play areas of the playground. And that can be a really valued and important part of playful learning during recess and social connection, just like the play structure or the soccer field. Or these are there are kids whose needs could be met Kids could have more options, lots of learning to do, um, outdoor spaces for learning all subjects, not just science or nature, but moving any kind of lesson outside will allow for that same environment we talked about earlier, that calming and stimulating mix that for many kids, sitting indoors without moving in a classroom is not setting them up for success. It's actually setting their sensory system up for for a lot to balance or even struggle as they're trying to learn whatever you're trying to teach them. So I do think these little opportunities to see new, um, even small micro changes, um, or for parents to see their kids as learners in their home environment and to see what was happening to them when they're sitting on a screen or how much better it was that they got to go out and play for a lot during the day. Uh, There's so much learning that we didn't ask for, but we got. So now we just need to organize And if you are a parent leader or want to be a parent leader in your area, there are some wonderful ways to work with your school to say, how can we just truly move more of the day outside? And then how can we afford for more nature play in the free parts of the day? So whether that's the breaks, the recess, you know, um, the science program, wherever you can fit it, because you're, you're right, it's not necessarily that it needs a lot of budget. But my experience from being in schools is more that the, the valuable asset is as much time as it is anything else. And with the amount that teachers are asked to do, the amount of academic pressure now put on kids, it's very hard to find that time and space and priority as much as it is to buy anything. It's really about believing in it and giving it some time and carving out a space for it in the day and in the week. And then putting it in place and seeing what happens. Because every school that I've worked with that have done that would never goes back. It's so clear that giving kids more time outside, weaving outside into the learning opportunities is just a win. And the win always astounds all of the educators because it cuts across the day. It's not just right after they go outside, they're happier. It's, oh, they're able to attend better. And, oh, they like school more. And, oh, you know, the kids who sometimes struggle in the classroom have a venue to be leaders. And there's so many great things that happen. So again, just gently working with your school system, um, but persistently to try and fight for some time for kids to be outside, to have nature play is exactly the right thing to do right now. That's awesome. Yes. See, I'm not such a gentle, gentle pusher, but I love that. I love that attitude. Um, so do you want to, we're going to wrap up. So do you want to just tell everybody where they can find you on social media, on your site, um, and anything else that you want to leave our listeners with? Absolutely. Well, you can find us on Facebook. Um, you can find us on Instagram and follow us. You'll see lots of ideas there and um, can kind of keep up with the things that are happening, our different conversations and learning opportunities for grownups and kids. We also have a monthly calendar at tinkergarden.com slash calendar. So it's a great way to understand a little bit more about what it's like to be part of Tinker Garden and to weave a little play in every day. And then you can find out about our classes at tinkergarden.com. And those are, again, in person in hundreds of locations around the country this summer, even more in the fall. 
Um, also a program called Tinker Garden at Home, which is the same curriculum, but you can experience it from anywhere. Um, and you can find out about all of that right on our website. Awesome. And we will link everything in the show notes so you guys can easily access all of this information. It was so great having you. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. Oh, it was wonderful to be here, Alana. And thanks for all you're doing. I'm I'm just excited to know you and, and be able to be part of the work you're doing. You don't want to miss out, right? Woo-hoo. Hey, friend. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of the Play, Learn, Thrive show. I'm happy you stopped by for another week of learning with me. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. I so appreciate your feedback. I'd also love for you to join our community of over 20,000 parents on Instagram. You can find us at Play, Learn, Thrive Kids. 